Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hello there and welcome. It's Mike Williams. Thanks for uh, joining us for today's podcast. Uh, We're going to call this one Out of Left Field. It's a good question. Um... I always like to tell uh, our clients that the surprises that are the most, uh, well, surprising are the ones we don't talk about, hence the term surprise. I always get a kick out of everybody reading headline after headline after headline and dissecting a problem to the nth degree as though it's the largest monster we've ever faced uh, and then calling it a surprise. (laughs) Well... Uh, you know, the comedy of it all in the midst of all the frenzied activity around markets is sometimes uh, mind-numbing. But I read a few interesting things of the weekend which are helpful to recognize because the media seems to be tiring over its own coverage of some of the current world-ending events. Uh, you know, the China is falling off a cliff thing is getting a little tired and the cheap oil is the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to you thing is getting a little tired and the the fear warnings of those events are are getting a bit long in the tooth and uh, I would say the public is getting bored and if the media knows one thing it's this when the public gets bored you better rank up to the next monster so I simply suggest that we be on the lookout for the next thing that's going to be apocalypse now. You know, we've we've often mentioned in these podcasts that uh, we've gone through nearly a decade and a half of apocalypse now turning into apocalypse later. You know, the panic sell-off turning into the relief rally. Uh, it's been going on for so long, I'm not sure people really recognize it. Worst of all, I get a sense that the crowd has become addicted to it. Hence, if it does not happen, then uh, we begin to wonder why it hasn't happened in in a while, uh, whatever a while might be defined by in the press. So we might want to be asking ourselves, what's that next thing? Uh, We we haven't thought of a lot of things, but uh, it'll be something we've probably not mentioned before, uh, don't I, I personally don't know what it could be next, but uh, I always tell people to look out in left field because that's where the surprises come from. That's where the term comes from. Wow, that was that was out of left field. Well, heed the implication because if we're talking about it, if we're fretting over it, if we're worrying about it every night, if it's on the news every evening, if it's in your radio every morning, if it's on your web headline three days a week, it's not a surprise. So what could it be? Could it be something about El Nino? Remember, we've got summer coming up, and in El Nino season, summer tends to be hot, uh, and it also tends to be dry. I remember back in the early 90s, we made a lot of money in the grain business because uh, we had uh, weather patterns dramatically impacted by that El Nino. And uh, so I would suggest that we might be on the lookout for some quote-unquote world-ending events surrounding food. 
uh, that that might be an interesting thought. Could it be Greece again? I doubt it, but that would be part six. Uh, could it be Zika virus too? Uh, who knows? Could it be oddly enough increasing oil prices? Now, come on, you got to admit that would be pretty funny if another few weeks from now, after the market has rallied a bit, as we suspect it would have. Um, you have to admit it'd be funny to hear about, oh my gosh, crude has hit $42. That is bad for you. Uh, so while you're chuckling a little, pay attention to driving still. But listen, while producers in every press room around the world tend to sit on a hair trigger to be ready to tell you the next end of the world as we know its story, we might want to instead sit back and ponder this. The latest data has come from the Federal Reserve. As of the end of 2015, get this, we have a record U.S. household net worth, both on a uh, collective basis, uh, a collective balance sheet, and a per capita net worth basis. In other words, we've never been this wealthy. The net worth stability is highest. The financial assets portion of that is the highest. Real estate portion of that is just a tick below its highest from 2006. I would argue literally a non-measurable tick. Uh, debt levels, interestingly enough, we keep talking about debt levels. Debt levels collectively, even though net worth has increased Roughly, let me calculate here real quick from this chart, roughly 30%, maybe 35% from the peak before the 2008 and 2009 setbacks. Even though our net worth has accelerated by about 30%, overall, I mean, total United States net worth uh, household-wise, even though that's happened, debt has not increased. In fact, I'm going to get to debt in a second, but I want to point out something to you. And this is the bad thing about podcasts. I can't show you a chart. So I'm going to, I'm going to sort of try to explain what the chart says. Uh, I'm staring at it, and it shows a line that goes from left to right covering 1950 to 2016, current time. And it's got a line right up the middle of the chart that says 2.4% per annum. That's a 2.4% per annum growth average for the last 65 years through, I would argue, several bear markets, several bull markets, and quite a few recessions, and all sorts of problems, you might add. The U.S. per capita net worth has accelerated at an average of 2.5% a year. Let's be technical, it's 2.4, but for this purpose, I'm going to call it 2.5. Now, what I want to point out about that is that here's the interesting part. From roughly 1974 up through 1991, we were below that trend line. And for a good part of that lengthy period of time, we were well below that trend line. Now, you might recall the markets did pretty well from 1974 up until the early 90s. And then briefly in the 91 period, we touched right on that 2.4% per annum average. And guess what? We then fell below it again 
from 1991, oddly enough, all the way up to just before the top of the tech bubble. So some will tell you, oh my God, it's terrible if we're not at that 2.5% average per annum. It's, it's horrible. We're falling behind trend. Well, guess what? Those were great years in the stock market. Interestingly enough, we were above that trend line for most of the tech bubble collapse. The collapse brought us back to the trend line. We then had the real estate bubble that took us above the trend line. And then the 2008-2009 uh, collapse brought us back below the trend line. And we've been there since about 2000 and call it right towards the middle half of 2008 when uh, things started uh, hurting in earnest for the next six months. Uh, and then we've spent the last six years climbing back to trend. Now, what does this tell you about all this period? Well, if you could see this chart and listen to the way I'm describing it, oddly enough, when we are below trend, we are actually having a better market. When we're above trend and need to fall back to the trend line is when we have tough markets. So oddly enough, when people say, oh my God, we're below trend, strangely enough, that is good. <laughs> so, so think about it. It's, uh, it's yet another example of how a headline can, can send you in the entirely wrong direction. Okay, It's kind of like when people say, oh my gosh, consumer sentiment has plummeted. Mark my words here, after 32 years of this, whenever you hear that consumer sentiment is down big, get ready for a rally. Because that's a buy signal. So let's talk about household leverage for a second. Uh, debt, as much as we're told to fear it, has obviously collapsed since the 2008-2009 uh, uh, problem. Now, what I find interesting today is that as a percentage of total assets, we have household leverage of about 15%. Now, I want to tell you something. Household leverage was about 15% from early 1985 to about 1990. It went slightly above 15%. It hit 16% from the early 90s all the way up to the end of the 90s, about 1998. And then strangely enough, in the tech bubble, it bounced. And then, of course, in the real estate bubble, it really escalated. It hit 22%. And then it collapsed back to where it is now. Now, I want to remind you that where we are now is where we spent most of the 80s and 90s. Think about that for a second. The net worth of this country has tripled since that period, since the, since the 80s. Our GDP has nearly tripled since the 80s. And yet our debt levels as a percentage of the whole, while they have risen as a whole, the percentage of the whole, an asset base, 
has stayed relatively the same. Now think about that for a second. So here we are building significantly more assets, a significantly larger GDP, hence a larger economic structure in the United States, and yet our debt levels are about the same percentage. Now here's the thing. If I tell you, oh my gosh, my debt level has gone from $100 million to $200 million, you could argue that, wow, Mike, you've doubled your debt. Jesus, what's going to happen to you? My God, what's going to happen to your organization? Whatever entity that is has got to be in trouble, right? I mean, the debt has gone up 100%. That kind of escalation will crush you. Remember, that's the kind of stuff we hear all the time. But what if I then tell you that the entity that went from $100 million to $200 million of debt also went from, say, a trillion dollars of assets to, let's call it, $3 trillion of assets? Would that matter? You bet it would matter. As a percentage, the debt actually fell. So you're in better shape, even though the headline could make you think entirely differently. Think about that for a second. One more thing to think about here is, is this. We are in an uh, environment with just extremely low treasury yields. The bond market continues to send a very, very clear signal. There is a rampant demand for money and debt. In other words, there's a demand to get that cash so we can buy debt because we're, we're ter terrified, excuse me, terrified of the stock market. Now, how do we know we are terrified of the stock market? One of the ugliest periods of time in the last 50 years was the mid-70s when it was really ugly. <laughs> the Dow was less than 500 and it had gone down by half in the 70s from where it started or peaked uh, about a year earlier. And then it took about seven years to get back to that thousand level uh, up into 1982, which of course started the great bull market of the 80s and 90s. Now, what I'm trying to point out here, though, is there's something called equity risk premium. Now, what that means is this. If you take the 10-year the treasury yield, okay, and you say to yourself, yeah, okay, that's one comparison, but what do equities earn? And the way they do that is they say, okay, take the S&P 500, okay, and then imagine for a moment you could buy it all. You owned it all just like you bought one big giant bond. What would you earn from the S&P 500 earnings? What would you earn on your equity the same way you earn interest on your bond? And then what you do is you, you find the difference in those two, the bond uh, differential versus the bond versus equity differential. So you subtract what you're earning on your bond and what you would earn on S&P earnings. Okay, think of it in that perspective. Now the chart tells us that we hit a peak of 6% in the mid-70s for a brief period. And I do mean a brief period. It was about a year long. And then it dropped down to a very high 4.5%. Oddly enough, that's where we are now. We hit a brief period of 6% in the 08-09 collapse. And guess what? 
we are back to four and a half-ish percent. Now, that means that we have an earnings yield of nearly 6% in the stock market versus the 1.8% in the Treasury bond market. Now, choosing a yield of 1.7% on an asset that will not go up in value for 10 years, it will not. It is guaranteed to not go up in value. Yet you will indeed get your 1.7%. To choose that in lieu of equities yielding 400 to 450 basis points more, and considering further that equities do have some history of going up over 10-year periods, uh, with the exception of very few rolling 10-year periods over the last, I don't know, 70 years, it makes sense that you would do that only, only if you were convinced that earnings will suffer significantly. Now, you remember what I told you about surprises. With these kinds of actions in the marketplace, the smart money says, well, that's certainly not a surprise then. We already know the world is petrified. We already know that the only reason that logical thinking people would do this is because they don't believe in equities. Because if someone believed in equities as strongly as they believe in bonds, you would never choose the 1.7% ever. And what does that tell us in the grand scheme of things? Well, put another way, the current P.E. of the S&P 500, after you take away the garbage in the energy business for a second, the current P.E. is about 14 and a half. Now think about this. The current P.E. of the 10-year bond is over 50. So to pay that much for the perspective that, that, that equities are dangerous and safety of treasury is that more overbearing, that much more overbearing, excuse me, for 10 years, that is to have truly dismal expectations for economic growth and corporate profits. Truly dismal. And I don't mean for next week. I mean for the next 10 years. So take that perspective with you today and think about it from this angle. Remember we called this out of left field. Strangely enough, out of left field is the surprise. It's where the term came from. But it's not just bad things that come out of left field. In other words, what's probably coming out of left field, given all this data we've just shared together, is this. Our economy is getting stronger, not weaker. Under all the noise, tailwinds are forming, not headwinds. The out of left field surprise would be that we have dramatic opportunity ahead, not dismal outcomes. So I hope this has been helpful. Think about that, take it in, and make it a part of your plan. And until we see you again on the next podcast, thanks for joining us. May your journey be grand and your legacy significant. Thanks again.